0: We had a couple people reach out to us on Facebook. They said, Hey, uh, there's this abandoned house a couple streets over from you, and I'm pretty sure that your cat is hanging out there. So, Aaron and I, for the next couple of days, just hung out around this abandoned house, calling the cat's name with treats until we realized actually the house wasn't abandoned at all,
1: <laughs> and we were trespassing. Yeah from NCPR. Welcome to Northwards. People, ideas, and conversations from and about Northern New York, Vermont, and beyond. I'm Mitch Tyke
0: Support for the Northwards podcast comes from St. Lawrence University, where a strong liberal arts tradition with real-world applications equips students to solve 21st century challenges. stlawu.edu.
1: Earlier in the history of Northwards, we sat down with the very talented host of the Howl Story Slam podcast, one Ethan Shanty, and talked about his hopes, dreams, and aspirations for the podcast that was just about to launch at that point. Well, the first season is over, listeners, and uh, I believe it was a smashing success, Uh, So we've invited Ethan Shanty to stop by the studio once again, which is kind of exaggerating things because he doesn't really have to stop by. He was already in the studio when I walked through the door. He's sitting across from me. Ethan Shanty, welcome back to Northwards. Hi, Mitch. Thanks for having me back. (laughs) Um, And and thanks for taking the time uh, today. I want to talk with you because The Howl had, what, 12 episodes in its first season? Just 10. Just 10. Just 10, yeah. I was never a math expert. <laughs> um, so 10 episodes in yeah. this first season, and uh, they broke all sorts of records for listenership uh, for a podcast that we produce at North Country Public Radio, which is a little self-congratulatory. But if you can't be self-congratulatory, who can,
0: right? Right, yeah. We had a lot of conversations about how we shouldn't get like too caught up in just the numbers aspect of it, but it's really hard not to look at them and celebrate, you know, when Thirty thousand? Uh, what? Well, not thirty thousand, but we had almost thirty thousand downloads, and it was, maybe it like, was ten. Right, <laughs> ten. people. Ten total. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but when um, when you see that your episodes, the thing that you're working on has been downloaded like thirty thousand times. That feels good, so it's it's hard not to look at those numbers and celebrate a little bit. And uh, I'm just really, really stoked that anybody cared about what we were bringing to the digital podcast space and was really interested in these stories because I know that we felt strongly that um, that they were that they were entertaining and that they spoke to some of our North Country
1: values, um, and that you know they
0: deserve to be heard by a larger
1: audience. Well, and and you have to wonder if um, making these available to a worldwide audience um, also gave uh, the people who told the stories some new incentive to to kind of go back and listen to them and share them with their friends and um, you know it's uh, it's a viral thing
0: yeah and um, I I think that I think that all of the people who we chose for this first season should be extremely proud uh, of the stories that they told um, I actually caught up with um, with Tanya Roy who told a Legendary story. Legendary howl storyteller. Yeah, she really is. And her story was on an episode uh, called I Joined a Dating Site on a Dare. And it's all about how she meets her partner um, through, uh, through this unexpected series of events after she joins uh, Match.com. It's really funny. It's really heartfelt. And I caught up with her um, a few weeks ago. She said that she was really interested. And I told her that we had great feedback from her episode and people loved it. And she was like, well, you know, what I want to tell you is is this, that when I got on stage and I got to a certain point in my story, I realized that I could either follow the guidelines of the story slam and risk losing um, or tell it the right way. And so she's like, I had this moment where I paused and she's like, you can probably hear it in the episode. And I just decided, you know, this story is important to me, and it needs to be told the right way. So I'm going to go over time and and just give the audience this story straight from my heart, and and hopefully I'm not punished or penalized for it, you know. <laughs> um, and and you know when when her and I were talking. Uh, it was like, you know, I could tell that you had that that moment of reflection when you're on stage where you take this deep breath in and you you pause and you make this this decision. Um, and I told her I thought that that was the the right move um, to, to break with format a little bit and go over time to make sure that people heard her story the way it needed
1: to be told, which I thought was really cool. So for you, having. Sat down, and uh, I mean, you don't just host this show. You also go back through all the old stories, Mm -hmm. and you edit and and mix the show. And basically, you immerse yourself in the stories as you're producing each episode. We were at the Howl Story Slam when it was in Potsdam recently, Mm -hmm. and you actually got up on stage and told a story for the first time, right? It was the
0: very first time I've told a story uh, on stage, and uh, it was – It was like a little bit nerve wracking um, because you're much more vulnerable. You know, when you're actually speaking in front of people, that barrier uh, is not the the barrier that you have as a broadcaster is not there anymore. Uh, You know, you're just looking out the window or you're looking directly at the microphone or you're looking at the thing that you're reading. But when you have to tell this really personal story and you're staring at people and gauging their reaction in real time, uh, it's much
1: different. I mean, you probably are over that stage fright by now I would think I don't know every time I finish telling a story I, I step off the stage and the first thing that pops into mind is well fooled him again <laughs> <laughs> um, interesting
0: that's that's kind of surprising to hear I would think that you would be like really confident about this <laughs> at this stage but I I, I don't know I'm, I'm making a conscious effort to to kind of like get over my stage fright but uh, which, which is weird for people to hear because uh, I've always been on the radio and I've always been um, I've been a musician since I was yeah, 14. So how, how is
1: how is how is telling a story in front of a group of people sitting around, in this case, the, the 1844 barn in Potsdam yeah. different than actually being on stage uh, and playing music?
0: Yeah, I think I think it has to do with there being a barrier. And, you know, you know, when I'm playing with my band, I'm behind the drum set and there's other people uh, in my band for the crowd to focus on. Um, and somewhat
1: less screaming, I think
0: <laughs> <laughs> there's less screaming at the 1844 house generally. Yeah. Um, and, and, the Howl story slam generally. Yeah. Less screaming. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's being the center of attention. It's, it's having people, uh, you know, sort of like, uh it's it's having people react to you in those quiet moments where you make a joke and they either laugh or they don't laugh or they stonewall you and there's that terror. Um yeah, it's 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 making yourself vulnerable that is the weird thing for me. That's the uncomfortable thing for me. Um but yeah, I've been actively trying to get over it by just being out in public more and like reading poetry and, and doing the Howl Story Slam. And um, and it was a it was a surprise that people loved the story that i told it was it was good (laughs) yeah
1: it was fun you told a story about your cat
0: yeah my cat ripley who went missing um a couple of months ago and uh and my partner aaron
1: and i thought that we had gotten her back (laughs) um so why don't we listen to a clip from that story told at the 1844 barn
0: Believe this or not, but uh, I have an intense fear of public speaking despite the fact that I've spent my entire career on the radio and I also host the podcast version of this show, which is pretty cool. Um, so I'm not saying that to poison the well of my story, but I am trying to get some sympathy points. Um, I'm very much a cat person. I always have been, I love cats. Nothing against dogs, but cats are a little bit better. And so when my partner who is here, Aaron, and I uh, moved into our own place, And uh, she finally said, I think we should get a cat. There's this stray cat that's hanging out at Cornell Cooperative Extension. I literally had tears in my eyes because I'd been waiting for us to have a cat together for so long. The tears she'll probably attribute to me being a Pisces. Really, I'm just a big baby. So we got this cat. Uh, She was a stray. Her name was Ripley, named, of course, after the badass in the Aliens franchise, Ellen Ripley. Um, And she pretty much hated us at first. Uh, It took her four months to warm up to us. Uh, During that time, she either hid between the washer and the dryer, or she hid on this utility cabinet that we have in our utility room. But eventually, she became the perfect cat. A beautiful cat, a lovely cat, she would scream at Aaron in the morning until she got fed. She would scream at me in the afternoon until I let her up on my lap so she could sniff around my laptop. She would scream at night when Aaron and I went to bed because she couldn't see us anymore. And that meant that we had disappeared. And love this cat very, very much. And then she disappeared in June. Um, Aaron and I did the thing that you're supposed to do, which is put up posters. We talked to all of our neighbors. We called every um, humane society in the county. Uh, We didn't get very far with any of that. Uh, We had a couple people reach out to us on Facebook. They said, hey, uh, there's this abandoned house a couple streets over from you, and I'm pretty sure that your cat is hanging out there. So Aaron and I, for the next couple of days, just hung out around this abandoned house calling the cat's name with treats until we realized actually the house wasn't abandoned at all <laughs> and we were trespassing. Uh, <laughs> nobody called the cops, which is fortuitous for us. Um, so we hadn't necessarily given up Hope we knew that she was a barn cat. She'd eventually come back around, probably. But we were really devastated. We were really upset. We really loved our cat. We wanted to see her again. We were like, bro, what is your deal? You get all the cuddles and food you want inside. You're just chasing mice outside. Come home. But no, so she's still missing. And then one day, Erin and I are watching the bear. And she gets a message on Facebook from someone that she doesn't know and that I don't know. And they say, we have your cat. It's not threatening like that but it's like we, we have your cat and they send us photos and sure as hell it is Ripley it's got the bushy tail it's got the the tiger coating and the photos are a little bit blurry but we're like thank god our cat is here so we bundle up you know we get a a, a towel we get our little cat carrier which we know that she hates and we jump in my truck and we rush over it's just a couple streets over and we think we're going to get to go into the house and see this cat and uh, and give it uh, treats and confirm that it's our cat Um, but when we get there the folks are standing out on their front porch they have the cat our cat, Ripley, wrapped in a towel on their shoulder, and it is going nuts because it is hopped up on catnip, and it's shrieking, and it's trying to get away. So we pull up. I'm basically parked sideways on this street, um, and (laughs) Aaron gets out of the truck. They just throw the cat at Aaron, basically. And then we get in the truck and we're like, okay, we just need to get back to the house before this cat pees all over the truck because it's shrieking, it's trying to get out. Again, hopped up on catnip. I don't know if any any of you have ever been, but uh, it's a wild (laughs) thing. Um, So we finally get back to our house. Uh, I rush out of the truck, open my front door. Aaron goes in, I go back, lock everything up. Come back in the house, Aaron has put the cat down. It looks suspiciously, sort of like our cat. <laughs> um. And But before we can get a good look at it, it bolts. It runs up the stairs. It's all over Aaron's art supplies, which Ripley never does. It's shrieking. It's howling. It runs down the stairs. It's up on the windows, which Ripley never does. And then it's up on the car. It's down on the carpet. It's rubbing its back all over the carpet, which Ripley never does. And so we finally get a good look at this cat, and its eyes are a little bit bigger than Ripley's, and its hair is a lot a bit shorter than Ripley's. And everything about it is a lot a bit different than Ripley's, but we are desperate for our cat. We want our cat back so much that we are googling, do cats lose their hair in the summer with their long hair? Can their voices get deeper if they've been out for a while? And all of this was totally unnecessary when we finally got down and we lifted up its tail to realize that it was very much a male cat. A well endowed male cat. So We had already basically fallen in love with this cat all over again. Even though it wasn't ours, we named it Bartleby. Um, We we thought to ourselves, maybe we'll just keep it. And then we thought, well, it must be a person's cat. This cat is so friendly. It's so lovely. It's so affectionate. It's got to be somebody's missing cat. So we call the Humane Society. Finally, somebody comes and picks it up. And Bartleby, thankfully, has found a new home. Ripley is still missing, but... I saw her on the edge of our driveway this morning eating the wet food that we had left out for it. So we're pretty sure when it finally gets cold, she will come in
1: at which point she will be grounded for life. Thank you. Ethan Shanty, both on tape from the 1844 barn and in the studio with us here on Northwards. Ethan, uh, first of all, great job, uh, not, Thank you. and not <laughs> just because uh, it meant that I did not have to tell a story that night. <laughs> but um, you know, as long as this is the clip episode of uh, Northwards, uh, why don't we listen back to some other highlights from the past season, and uh, and have you wax philosophical about them?
0: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Let's let's treat this like it's the the Simpsons 138th episode. <laughs> episode uh, clip show Spectacular. Um, yeah, we'll play a couple of clips from this past season. Uh, two of my favorite episodes, uh, episodes 9 and 10. Uh, this first one is uh, Jim Howard, uh, who told a story about bringing his, his friend and colleague on a uh, camping trip with some of his students, and his, uh, his colleague was very, very unprepared for the experience.
2: Wednesday was CC day. Canoes and crafts. And the generally all the kids would be out in the canoe and uh, the craft would be making sand candles. So I say, Tom, this is the only job you have. There's 75 boxes of wax. And near the stove over there, your job, melt the wax. By the time we come back in, everything will be fine. We'll, we'll have the kids make depressions in the sand we'll put a little string in there. They'll make candles. Their mom and dad will be so happy. The parents and I take the eight canoes and we head out into onto uh, Lake Colby. Everything is going quite smoothly until one of the kids goes, Mr. Howard, Mr. Howard, look at Mr. T. We move our canoe around, we look over there and there's Tom on the edge of Lake Colby jumping up and down, jumping jacks, one arm, you know, two arms obviously, <laughs> but two arms, he's just <laughs> jumping crazy and and Tom never does jumping jacks so this was <laughs> this was kind of an unusual thing to see <laughs> so and then one of the kids says he's yelling something so i go shh quiet quiet we listen the word fire comes rolling across Lake Colby into our canoe area oh my god i know, there goes my retirement <laughs>
0: So that was Jim Howard uh, live on stage at one of our uh, Howell Grand Slams from a few years ago, and uh, and we, we turned it into our 10th episode, the uh, season finale for season one of the Howell podcast. Um, and I really love that story. I've listened to it a bunch of times, and I thought it was just like
1: such a great and heartwarming way to to end our season. You know what I like best? Uh, maybe not best. I, I, the stories are probably what, what's best, but one of the things that I, I really enjoy about About listening in this kind of format, not not in the studio specifically, but uh, listening to the podcast and kind of revisiting these, um, is the audience reaction. Yeah, you know, sort of listening for how long it takes them to start to realize what they're yeah 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 yeah, exactly. yeah yeah
0: yeah that's that's one of my favorite aspects too and I, I think next time we do a season we should actually have a microphone just pointed at the crowd um, but yeah no it's such a cool part of the experience and really makes it feel like you're at the live show yeah and and I know that there's lots of these events that I haven't been able to go to because of work and life um, and certainly our listeners have not been able to attend a lot of these too so uh, it's an opportunity for them to feel like they're a part of that
1: experience, which is cool. Ethan Chanty is our guest here on Northwards. He's the host of the Howl podcast also available on NCPR and wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, we're listening back to a couple of clips from uh, the first season of The Howl, which has recently concluded. Uh, what else did you bring for us? I brought uh, one more clip that
0: I want to play, which was from our ninth episode called Friendship is for the Birds. Um, and this is uh, this is Deirdre Loftus, also from A Howl Grand Slam, talking about <laughs> making friends um, in unexpected places after she graduates college.
3: I think that birding is the only sport that people start doing after they go through menopause. This is a thought that I find myself having um, as I'm sitting in a car next to my friend named Helen. Now Helen is the sexiest 94-year-old that I know. Uh, She is smart and she is sassy and she just got married to a 72-year-old. Named Peter. Um, I'm sitting in this car with Helen, and I ask her, Helen, when did you start birding? And she says to me, very plainly, well, I was in an abusive marriage. My husband refused to divorce me. I had a date on the calendar and a plan for killing myself. I was walking through the park one day, and I saw an eared grebe. It was the most magnificent thing I'd ever seen, So I got a bird book, I identified it, the next day I went back to the park, I identified another bird, and another bird, and another bird, before you know it, my suicide date came and went, birding saved my life. Now this was not the response I was expecting (laughs) to this very generic question. Even more so, I was not expecting Helen's continued response, which was, the best part is, he wouldn't divorce me, because he knew I'd get half his money, I come home one day, he dropped dead in the shower, I got everything.
0: That's Deirdre Loftus uh, telling her story uh, on our first season of the Howl Podcast. She uh, she told that story live on stage at one of our grand slams, and then we put it in our podcast. And uh, that's another one of my favorite stories from this season, uh, in part because uh, you know the the that clip that we heard has some like really really serious and kind of dark stuff happening, but it's told with this like levity um, that uh, that you are only afforded as a storyteller or a person with with years and years of space in between those events. Um, And that's, that's a, 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 that's a shared quality among so many of the stories that we heard is that, you know, there are these like really tragic and serious things happening, but when you distance yourself from them, you can realize that there's a lot of humor and a lot of light in, in the, Strange and uncomfortable thing that you experienced.
1: Well, and and I think one of the things that makes that so good is is you know the the, the contrast that exists, you right? Know, like that tension between um, you know it's the comedy and tragedy masks. exactly, um, yeah, and uh, and they're all wrapped up in five minutes of uh, storytelling. Yeah, or I guess slightly longer for Grand Slams.
0: Right, sure, and 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 that's been the fun thing for me as like uh, as the host and as the producer or editor of the show is seeing how a person can really just take take this this story with 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 years packed into it and get on stage and tell it with 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 drama and comedy and and jokes uh, and punchlines in like just 5 or 6 or 7 minutes and it's really really an art form like these people have crafted these stories it's not they're, they're not just getting up on stage and riffing you know these are really really well crafted
1: stories uh, it's it's actually worth noting that that's one of the reasons that uh, both uh, Natalie Phil who is uh, with the Adirondack Center for writing and I are both on a panel at the Lake Placid Film Festival mm. uh, late this month about storytelling itself cool um, and things coming full circle you know she's gonna talk about storytelling as its portrayed on stage in mm-hmm. the howl and Uh, I am going to talk some about storytelling in terms of how an interview can be the same as uh, telling a story and sort of inserting narrative arc into a conversation. Um, That was a little self-serving. So is the uh, fact that we have (laughs) another Howl Story Slam live on stage coming up in Saratoga Springs on the 25th of August. october so if you're listening to this before the 25th of october um it's actually going to be the first time that the howl is streamed on video live as it's happening cool I didn't know that. Yeah, it's at Cafe Lena in Saratoga Springs. You can check that out. You actually have to you have to buy tickets to the the video live stream. Wow! But if you're there in person, it's uh, just a suggested donation. That's
0: awesome. I had no clue.
1: I'm glad that we're doing that. Uh, and then we're back on stage in November uh, in Tupper Lake at Racket River Brewing. Yeah,
0: and then we'll eventually have the uh, the Grand Slam, which takes all of the winners from this past season and puts them on stage to to battle it out.
1: Uh, so we're a little ways out from the uh, second season of The Howl?
0: Yeah, yeah. We're going to be putting The Howl season two out in January. And uh, I'm hoping that uh, in the next couple of months here, we'll have some bonus episodes to to bridge the gap and uh, and and wet the whistle of those folks who found that they really, uh, really loved season one of The Howl.
1: Well, Ethan, great work. And uh, thanks. thanks for a job well done. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, we'll see you in season two in January. Congrats. Thanks. Ethan Shanty is the host of the Howl podcast, which just wrapped up its first season. You can go back and binge all 10 episodes at ncpr.org slash Howl or wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Howl Story Slam is a co-production of NCPR and the Adirondack Center for Writing. That is all for this episode, but before we go, I want to peel back the curtain for just a moment and mention that this program is produced at North Country Public Radio, which is, if you didn't realize it already, a listener-supported enterprise. Northwards, The Howl, and everything else here at NCPR is made possible by people just like you, maybe you already, who not only enjoy our programs but contribute to make them available to our whole community. And best of all, we do not ask you to pay full freight just what you can afford. And, and this is where you're really fortunate to have listened this far into this monologue. When you contribute $10 a month or more, you can be one of the first people on your block, if you live on a block, to sport the brand new Northwards ball cap. It is one of those cool trucker hats with a mesh back, in sky blue and charcoal, and it has our extremely cool logo on it. You'll be supporting Northwards, The Howl, and everything that makes NCPR a unique part of our community. Do it now at whatever level, ncpr.org give, and we all are grateful.
0: Northwards is an NCPR podcast production. The show is written, edited, and produced by Mitch Tyke with digital production supervision by me, Ethan Shanty. Caitlin Kelly handles our social media. Bill Hanel is our digital director. And Doyle Dean is our production manager. Music is by the Wickmore Jazz Trio of Plattsburgh. To support this show and find more podcasts, visit ncpr.org. This is NCPR, North Country Public Radio.